welcome to the third episode of the Pepper Podcast. For those who are returning, welcome back. And if you are new, the Pepper Podcast covers a wide range of spicy events that occur in our daily lives. Two high school students tackle heated topics through discussion. I am your host, Jay Mehta, and joining me is my co-host, N.G. Watsanaskampan. And today's topic will be covering the American food industry and how it perpetuates horrible food choices and how government subsidies encourage fast food industries to serve the low-income areas of society. The U.S. obesity prevalence was 42.4% in 2017 to 2018, according to the CDC. Yeah, so I think it's pretty important to uh, mention the trend that is uh, present with the U.S. obesity rates in the food industry and, like, American diets, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's been a long-known, like, stereotype that, oh, Americans are fat, Americans are unhealthy, they're lazy, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that, that could be... Uh, due to a fa- uh, a multitude of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think we, before we get into, um, I guess the main causes, um, we should talk about like what I guess what create like causes obesity and things like that. So generally, it's energy imbalances, which is you know, uh, and taking more calories than consumed. Some genetic yeah. or endocrine medical conditions, and uh, certain medicines are known to cause um, obesity or being overweight. Yeah. Yeah, like my brother, for example, he takes medicine for ADHD, and that suppresses his appetite like throughout the day, so he doesn't really eat that much. But then it gets late at night, and then he gets super hungry, so he kind of binges. And so, like, uh, I've seen uh, research published that said like eating so a lot late at night, especially, mm-hmm. is pretty detrimental, more detrimental than eating a lot throughout the day, or even eating a normal amount of food throughout the day because he he's hit the medicine suppressed that appetite mm-hmm. he has an uh increased urge of hunger and that feeling of like oh i don't have any food in my body you know yeah so yeah. i think that's a big that's a big point yeah yeah and there's a lot of multitude of factors that cause um obesity and, and it's more than just um the biological reasons right there's a yeah. severe mental struggle um where it comes to obesity where there's a lot of social pressure around the idea um and it's it's a, there's a lot of medical um, issues as well, but mentally, um, there's a mental mindset um, that's definitely behind um, a lot of um, cases relating to obesity. Um, yeah. And even with that, there's also other factors such as the environment that you're in, right? Um, mm. Where you live, um, and like <laughs> exactly when you're if you're in a um, you know like low income area and things like that, the you know, the amount of, or the, I guess, concentration of fast food chains is higher um, in those areas compared to other, um, maybe higher income areas, which is, you know, it's pretty sad to see. Yeah, and like, uh, for example, according to uh, ncbi.gov, um, Poor neighborhoods had a higher proportion of fast food outlets than wealthier neighborhoods, with the poorer neighborhoods having 25.6% uh, versus the 11.2% in wealthy neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And another uh, correlation that could be made is because lower socioeconomic communities are dominated by people of color because, you know, that cycle of poverty that exists mm-hmm. within that system. Neighborhoods with a higher percentage of African-Americans, for example, had fewer healthy food options than neighborhoods with lower percentage of African-Americans, with the African-American populations with a higher percentage being at 33.4% versus their 20.9% counterpart. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess that really just illustrates how um, it's it's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of factors that can go into um, 
like I guess obesity and things like that. And mm-hmm. it's not just a um, an easy issue that can be fixed. It's something that's very complex and difficult to tackle, yeah. um, which is very important to mention. Um, there's also, I guess, age has to do with uh, the prevalence of obesity mm-hmm. um, in the United States, um, which is also a big issue. Um, but I mean, like a lot, and also with race, um, I think you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but there, there's been a few um, ways that people have tried to combat these issues. Um, I remember notably the New York sugary drinks portion cap rule um, back in 2012, I believe, mm-hmm. um, or 2013, um, wh- where I remember like a Casey Neistat video on this, um, where they limited the amount of sugar um, that New Yorkers consume in could could consume in restaurants. Yeah. Um, but it was a little bit contradictory because um, there were certain loopholes around that um, idea where people could go to their restaurant, get their food, and walk by to n- next door to a Seven Eleven and get a completely, um, you know, just the normal size exactly. drink. Yeah. So the regulation wouldn't apply to like drinks sold in grocery stores, you know, um, like Seven Eleven, which are regulated by the state. So that was very difficult. Uh, to implement because of that loophole, mm-hmm. and it was eventually yeah. repealed. So um, I thought that was yeah. interesting to talk about. Yeah, and like yes, that it's pretty interesting that you bring up that like the loophole thing and sugar, right? Especially especially like sh- sugary soft drinks, because uh, if I recall, the World Health Organization published a technical report nine sixteen or TR nine sixteen, which stated that sugar intake should be about uh, no more than ten percent of calories. Uh, of your daily diet and that the main culprit of obesity and weight gain and unhealthy lifestyles stuff like that is sugar not fat which in the 1970s 1980s 1990s fat was blamed falsely blamed for causing an increase in weight whereas uh, more science has come out that says that it's not fat but it's sugar mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, after that they re- the uh, technical report 916 senators larry uh, Craig and John Brooks, um, they actually took this to Congress and told them that the uh, WHO had to stop research on this mm-hmm. and had to stop publishing and take out the sugar level uh, recommendations from the future uh, publications because that future level that those uh, sugar levels actually would be a huge detriment in attacking the sugar industry, the food industry, the soft drink industry, you know, and so. Since uh, the WHO gets like approximately four hundred and six or four hundred and sixty million dollars from big food in America alone, mm-hmm. it's in their best interest to work in an economic yeah. mindset and to comply, you know, yeah. or else they won't get that funding. Yeah, um, yeah, and I agree. Sometimes uh, it's less of the fact that um, it could be correct data, but I guess the overall consensus is um, well effect could be negative and so um in order to prevent you know catastrophic events for um these research facilities it's in their best interest to follow regulation um i guess that's interesting how we can bring regulation into this um but i guess another thing we can go off of um is like about how like michelle obama and the obama administration have partnered Mm -hmm. with big food companies yes yes yeah, so uh, what you're talking about, I believe, is like the my plate standard, mm-hmm. yeah. where it's like half vegetables, and then I had like the portion sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we see in schools every day. Um, 
I know that when she first came out with the my play and like focusing on nutrition of American kids, um, big food was incredibly scared because how would you feel if you were a business, right? Profiting off of the consumption and domination of sugar in everyday supermarkets, for example, like uh, the average supermarket has 600,000 about uh, items with 80% of it having added sugar, probably more. This is probably from like a few years ago, but how would you feel if the president's wife and the president's administration was coming after that? You would lose so much money. Mm -hmm. So what uh, food brands like Kellogg, Coca-Cola, uh, Pepsi, what they all did was they've partnered with Michelle Obama. And so I, I recall a claim on the news or an interview that was like, in 2015, we're going to be cutting 1.5 trillion calories from all the supermarkets. Uh in the in 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 the in the US in twenty fifteen in twenty fifteen. Mm -hmm. But when we do the math, right? Yeah. That's on average a deduction a reduction of fourteen calories per child per day. That's like a bite of an apple, a bite of a bar or something. Yeah. Like yeah. that is a negligible Not even. amount. <laughs> no, exactly. And like it's like while one point five trillion is meant to look like a big number, the what the Obama administration, what Michelle Obama eventually had to uh, compromise was that they had a few choices, that they had to change the recipe of the food to make it healthier. They had to introduce newer, lower calorie, healthier, like reduced fat, which is the term that they like to use to, to, to appeal to, say, mothers and parents of America, that, that they think that that food is healthier, which it really isn't much healthier than their uh, original counterparts. And so um, I, I remember the, the reporter asking a question like, so you're not really taking off food items. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. the leader of this, uh, the movement, I forgot her name, but um, she was like, no, but we're introducing healthier alternatives that mothers can, or she used the word term mothers. I just use it loosely um, that mothers can choose for their children to be healthier and be in a healthier mindset and be lead healthier lives for their children. Yeah. But, when we actually look at the ingredients, what they lack in fat, they make up in artificial sweeteners or just pure sugar. Exactly. And that sugar, right? It's yeah. it's overall incredibly detrimental, and it's hidden under so many labels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Artificial, and they 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 can mm -hmm. hide it under a lot of things, and so yeah, um, there's been there's not a lot of transparency when it comes to that subject. Mm -hmm. Um. But another thing to go off is, is like being obese can also increase your, you know, your risk of developing many potentially serious mm -hmm. health conditions, you know, including uh, type yeah. 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, atherosclerosis, where it's basically where like fatty deposits near your arteries, and which mm -hmm. can lead to coronary heart disease and stroke. Um, this does from the NHSUK. Um, but also, again, going back to these like, um, like governments and especially with race, um, like the prevalence of obesity um is lowest um among non-hispanic asians um adults which is 17.4 percent um which is drastically different compared with non-hispanic whites blacks and um hispanics um in yeah. which in respectively is 42.2 percent 49.6 percent and 44.8 percent that is shocking right yeah yeah there's a significant divide um between these and this is extremely, I guess, interesting because it shows that, like, even though there's so many people, like, the choice is still always there, right? There's this 
cheap mm-hmm. economic alternative to the daily, you know, dietary needs and that you can fulfill that I guess I guess it tastes good, right? But it's mm-hmm. it, it overall is detrimental to your health. Um yeah. and I feel like the edu- there is education out there, but it isn't really um I guess the advertisements and prop like it's not fully propaganda, but the advertisements and this kind of like um the way that they cater towards their specific, like their targeted audience that these like you know these yeah. big um, fast food industries that they're like targeting towards their audience is definitely something that is very meticulous, right? It's very yeah. meticulously planned so that they they get their profit, but again that just harms the overall uh, you know um, rate I guess like these races and it harms these data, right? Because like this data yeah. is significantly you know, it's been ballooned from, you know, previous years, which is insane. Like, that's mm-hmm. very, very bad. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting you bring up Asian Americans, right, in Laos. Like, yes, uh, according to the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, they consistently have, perfor- are, like, their BMI is consistently smaller than, uh, uh, smaller value than, um, most if not all Mm -hmm. uh, demographics in the u.s but it's important to consider three things um biology uh Mm -hmm. the inaccuracy of bmi and Mm -hmm. also um i forgot what i was gonna say but let me just start with biology right yeah like um but uh asian americans are have been proven by the national health and nutrition examination survey they've done studies that show that the complications that come with obesity, being obese, and ha- like you know, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, whatever, actually happens at a lower BMI than compared to their non-Asian counterparts. Mm-hmm. For example, like I, I saw this one um, example where it was like a white person can eat ice cream seven times a day yeah. and still be fine. Where, but however, an Indian person mm-hmm. who eats ice cream. Uh, five times a day this, yeah yeah increases their risk of getting cancer i think it was diabetes or diabetes or cancer whatever yeah by a significant mm-hmm. amount more than the white person and that just has to do with genetics and biology and you know the different parts of yeah. uh, culture and where they where they come from mm-hmm. and next like bmi is really it's really not a very valuable indicator because while it, it only compares two things, right, yeah. height and weight, it does not account for bone density or muscle mass, There's which a muscle lot mass of other factors. That yeah, exactly. Be. That you can't necessarily uh, judge somebody's health by their BMI. Generally, yes, you can for the majority of people. However, for example, you can be skinny. This is my third point. You can be skinny, but metabolically incredibly unhealthy. Exactly. I know so many skinny people who skinny people as like they they're they aren't considered overweight or obese Mm -hmm. they um eat as much as they want all the candy ice cream desserts whatever sugary foods and they don't gain the weight yeah i'm I'm one of those people (laughs) yeah if we look metabolically that trend you can still you still have the same amount of chance of developing that uh cardiovascular disease the yeah. diabetes the metabolic syndromes etc it's just you're not getting you know, weight you're just not physically changing yeah that. yeah your metabolism you're the only difference i guess is the metabolism speed um of like mm-hmm. of, it depends from person to person um yeah. but going back to my data about um 
I guess this could be another point uh, on your argument. It, there could also be the frequency of how many times um, races go to eat fast food. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, comparing with, you know, genetics and things like that um, among men, I'm just using the male data, um, mm-hmm. fast food, uh, the percentage of men who consume fast food was higher among non-Hispanic black adults, which was 41.8%, compared yeah. with Hispanic, which is 35.2%, um, white men is 39.0%, and non-Hispanic Asians is 31.1%. So the Asian population has had the um, least frequency of going out. It's still, I mean, 31% is not, you know, crazy, like, low, right? Um, but it's yeah. still like less than any other race uh, in the data p- provided and they still but there's a drastic difference right in the amount the the obesity rates of yeah. these races right there's a, a significant divide from the 40 percentages to the 17 percent while here there's only you know f- the range of this data set is only around eight percent which is absurd or, or yeah. around 10 percent which is absurd mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that's a good point that you bring up um uh you say like races and their uh, consumption or mm-hmm. yeah their consumption of fast food but uh this ties back to you know the low socioeconomic areas that yeah. have more that's why we see more uh, uh african-american people more hispanic people more native american people eating fast food it's because fast food right Mm-hmm. It's fast, efficient, cheap, but also calorically dense. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. filling. It's right? filling. Right. Yeah. And so when you have no other option, you obviously get to go for the. You, you, it's hard to make the decision between, oh, I well, I know that this is bad for me, but I can't survive without it. Exactly. Because I can't be able to pay for it. But there is this healthy alternative I can make. But will I be? I'll be giving up all this food that I need to feed my family versus this. This handful of tomatoes, this handful, this 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 chicken breast, whatever. It's so much more expensive to eat healthy in this country than to go out for fast food. Exactly, and that goes back to uh, government allocation of funds. And especially now, um, now that the prices of uh meat and things like that have rose, arisen, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's it gets significant because like, um, the prices of fast food has not. They they haven't really changed much. I mean, they have inflated a little yeah. bit, but they haven't changed significantly um, enough to where people are, you know, giving up fast food. And uh, according with that, it, uh, there's also like pretty much any along. I give you maybe I make the bet that five minutes if you drive down a street five minutes, maybe like one a popular street in your town, you will find at least one fast food place to eat right and there's it's also a convenience factor apart from again you know the main points that you say uh, i'm gonna take is you know it's very calorically dense so it's filling Mm -hmm. number two it's cheap right and number three it is convenient it is a lot more convenient to go order a bean burrito from taco bell wait you know 20 seconds and have it right there you know warm and everything versus you going home making the food you know getting everything ready while it is healthier, number one, it is more time-consuming. Number two, it could be a little bit more expensive. It depends on the item that you're getting, of course. Um, yeah. And yeah, and it's, there's a lot of issues around that. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, what you said is is very correct. I think that um, while people can make the argument that if you buy in bulk or if you buy locally, which tends to be cheaper than going to get healthy, quote-unquote, foods from the supermarket mm-hmm. or like Trader Joe's or whatever, if you buy locally – it is more environmentally sustainable. It is healthier for you. 
but do those parents who are working multiple jobs to support their family or who mm. are on government assistance pensions yeah do they ha- yeah do they have the time to cook the food do they have the the, the energy the labor yeah. amount and i think that while it may be cheaper in economically like mo- capitally yeah where where it makes a trade off is in the labor intensive labor intensive um aspect of that yeah and i think that's important to recognize yep yep it's a lot more convenient again if you can yeah you know walk or even drive to a fast food place to get some food rather than mm-hmm. you you know going out getting the food going back coming back you know making the food getting that ready eating the food maybe put away leftovers there's two there's a lot more aspects to making your own food than there is um just getting at the supermarket um and but then another factor um is culture and i feel like we haven't uh, really gone over this factor yet but there's a big culture around um fast food and fast food is definitely a staple part in people's diet i um i don't know about you i eat at least i eat fast food at least maybe once a week twice like once every two weeks um mm-hmm. or maybe even twice a week depends on the week of course um but there are people who consume more than me there are people who consume less than me um but it's very rare for you to see someone who says like i know i've given up fast food um i know somebody who has given up fast food for the past seven years and they said like i feel so much better Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's so difficult to realize that once you're caught up in this culture and this idea, um, yeah. again, with the convenience factor, uh, the cost factor, things like that, once you step back and you take some time to just, um, to eat, you know, good food, um, uh, without, you know, you don't eat fast food and things like that, yeah. you truly realize like, wow, this food is not good for me. Um, so there's a big difference in that. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, just cutting out um, fast food, mm-hmm. yes, personally, is a good choice. But there are definitely multiple possible solutions that w- uh, everyday people can work towards to improve uh, food insecurity in this country, as well as the access to whole nutritious foods mm-hmm. for more more people. You know, like mm-hmm. if we kind of like if we can vote, right? Vote yeah. for for policymakers who believe that food's a right, not a privilege, mm-hmm. right? Food is a right, not a privilege, so that we can get food from local growers, support them with our dollars instead of supporting giant corporations who um, exploit farmers. And I watched this documentary, right, that it followed multiple farmers in the the dairy industry, in the Mm -hmm. chicken industry, uh, that showed everyday life and the struggles and the pain that they go through and how like how misleading that all the labels are on the supermarket foods and how much uh, they actually get ripped off because they actually have to compete with other people and if they don't make it then you know the the government the government or big chicken i think that's what they call the big chickens they just say like oh well that's your problem you know so it's not fair to the farmers it's not fair to the animals right it's not fair to us because we have no idea and it really was a mind-opening experience so like i think that if we could spend our dollars for to support local growers Mm -hmm. and not food corporations and cook at home with your family if you are able to right yeah because definitely some people aren't able to and vote for people who believe food is a right and not a privilege Mm -hmm. that can kind of enable like us to be able to kind of like uh, source the food from uh, get the food from where it's sourced like around there yeah. because it's been proven that that 
has helped uh, uh, food access to people everywhere. I think I want to clarify something that you're talking about. Food, I think, um, I guess pertaining to the topic of uh, obesity, uh, it should be healthy food, right? Um, mm-hmm. It cannot be, because vegan food can still be very unhealthy. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, like, I guess people don't, there's also, like, uh, an understanding that, feel like, that, like, there's a correlation between vegan, vegetarian food and healthiness. There is not a, t- like, typical correlation. I mean, there is a general idea, you know, that vegan food and vegetarian food is healthier, which it is in some aspects, right? You know, you don't have your mm-hmm. um, your red blood and things like that. You know, you're consuming less yeah. cholesterol, things like that. But um, you're, I guess, like, there can be, you know, fried food. Like, fries are vegan, but they're not healthy, you know? Um so it's it's this idea that and again uh, this ties back to the culture aspect we've created mm-hmm. a culture in which we've um we've almost like pedalized or we've like idolized you know um we've put <laughs> like fast food on a on like a pedal step that shows like these yeah. people um are heroes because they've provided like in our citizens with food that they can eat um and again with these commercials you know Taco Bell ads saying they have these new things and then McDonald's um there's all these, you know, like there's all these ads and things like that that they're very purposely targeted towards people yeah. who, um, well, especially in low-income areas, um, mm-hmm. there are very because they know, yeah, yeah, they know they can get the business out of them. Exactly, yeah. You yeah. rarely see, um, you're more prevalent to see um, ads uh, of like fast food restaurants in lower-income areas than in city, like in urban cities. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's there's a, um, you know, location-based um, culture. There's, um, like, internet-based culture um, where, I mean, you see, like, you know, ads on TV, ads on, yeah. you know, in TikTok and, you know, all the social media mm-hmm. platforms. They're specifically targeted for a reason, and those have been extremely detrimental. Yeah, and speaking of specifically targeting, um, for example, uh, McDonald's. They have Ronald McDonald and all the cartoon characters that's specifically targeted for children. As much as they want to claim that, no, he's just here to inspire, which is literally what they said, that Ronald McDonald is there to inspire and be a good person. No, it's a marketing tactic to appeal to children. Or like sugary cereals, for example. Captain Crunch, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Reese's Puffs, you know. They all have cartoon characters and they're all colorful and designed. And that is a marketing tactic to appeal to more kids to buy more, buy more, buy more. And... For example, like, I think that that is pretty criminal in and of itself. Yeah. Like, example is Mexico. They, if you go to the supermarket, the ce- if you go to the cereal section, mm-hmm. it's all generic looking cereal brands, boring looking, but it's in Spanish that it's what the cereal is. It could be like Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but it's boring looking. And that's because the Mexican government made it illegal for gov- for companies like that to pass to 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 market to children like that because they felt that 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 was morally wrong because you're mm-hmm. exploiting families and children to make an unhealthy population. Yeah, and I think uh, that's that's pretty important. And I believe there's a town in Mexico. I remember seeing something about this. There's a town in uh, in Mexico, I believe, that had the highest obesity rates, um, specifically because they drink a lot of sugarcane cola, uh, Coca Cola, mm-hmm. and um, they can't get enough of it. And there's no real regulation on it and so people are just chugging away without really they are seeing the effects eventually but there's no real formal education that shows how 
this is very harmful. You know, you're only um you only feel the you know the pleasure effect of drinking you know your um that soda or the sugar you know because like in the moment mm-hmm. of you eating this food it's great you know generally it's great but later you know you might feel the um the after effects and that could be later could be is very you know um it's up to you know each person things like that later could be describe this you know tomorrow or we can even describe this you know 10 later 10 years later in the future where an accumulation of this uh, food has destroyed mm-hmm. um or like wrote like destroyed like enzymes or th- things like that and it's like yeah. disrupted your colon and things like that so mm-hmm. yeah and when you say like long term that made me think of instant gratification and a lot of times the sugar industry the reason that sugar is so addictive is because it provides that increased dopamine level that instant gratification that your body in your that you feel right so like you had a um 200 calories in almonds versus 200 calories in soda or 200 calories yeah. in a candy bar those are crazy right? to see yeah exactly and like because say almonds have dietary fiber it takes longer to digest longer to extract the nutrients mm-hmm. and that sugar and those calories so it, you slowly burn that off and you use that that your body is intended to. But when you eat refined sugars like a candy bar, mm-hmm. there is no dietary fiber. It, exactly. It's instantly converted into ener- quick energy. And if you don't burn that off, it's stored as fat. Yeah. And so it's that cycle that people, you know, are trapped in. It's yeah. because uh, – and it's because the sugar industry is so powerful in this country that yeah. they, 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 ha- they, they have a monopoly over pretty much – most supermarket items and like the monopolies are a story for another day but yeah 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 but um it's so hard to target these and hold hold these companies like the sugar industry accountable accountable because they can pay for lobbies to defend themselves in court Mm -hmm. and they're successful 100 percent of the time yeah yeah because i mean with the uh, if, if something like something big as big as like the sugar industry collapses there's going to be a domino effect in our society in our economic society that's yes. going to crush a lot of things and so people yeah. do not want to see our economic society collapse and so they vote in mm-hmm. favor of keeping these um this perpetual cycle you know uh there's a there's this big big theme in the things we talk about i feel like i mentioned the term perpetual cycle at, at least once every episode um but there's a perpetual cycle of um you know of people that are yeah. doing these things and they're eating um food and then they're not realizing the effects of it um Mm -hmm. and then they just keep doing it and then eventually it'll definitely hurt in the end no exactly and that's kind of why we wanted to make this podcast especially this episode Mm -hmm. because we know that this information is pretty hard to come by Mm -hmm. so we kind of wanted to like you know discuss this and do the research for you listeners so uh yeah and I i i think that like you know if it's fixed, right, mm-hmm. the food that if when it's grown in less processed ways, less toxic ways, less yeah. exploitative ways, unsustainable ways, right, mm-hmm. there will be less damage to the environment, and we will rely less on subsidies and imports of foods, right, mm-hmm. and the system food in, food insecurity will be uh, there will be less food insecurity and it will yeah. be more stable, yeah. and then we'd have access to more nutritious wholesome foods that will pretty much lead 
a better, more healthy, productive population. Yeah. But you're talking about the before about like the 150 calorie difference. I remember seeing a video about 150 calories of broccoli, and it was a big piece of broccoli. You know, like it was a lot of broccoli. Yeah. Um, and then it was like 150 uh, calories of like a chicken wing, and it was seriously, I kid you not, it was like like one chicken wing, or maybe even like half. Like yeah. the difference in the quantity that of like calories that you receive in these things, um, are very different. Um, which is which is very interesting to see. Um, but also like, pr- there's problems. I guess there's solutions. Like I guess a lot of solutions that we can talk about. Uh, talk about right. So uh, solution A, you know, more education, more formal education yeah. is always something that's that can always happen. You know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. educate more people, because there's been a, um, I guess a surge in, um, like education about you know vaping and smoking. Yeah. And that's a story for another day. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know how like there's good formal education, um, but not fear tactics. But education is helpful. Um, yeah. But then to increasing the amount and uh, of like healthy foods that are available at a cheaper price to our everyday citizens, there are people who yeah. live paycheck to paycheck that cannot afford to go healthy, right? So just introducing foods that are Number one, cost effective, and two, healthier than your uh, than the items that we have now. Getting those alternatives will help um, produce a healthier, um, you know, not only a population, healthier population, but a healthy um, economy and things like that. Because if you have more productive people, if you have healthier people, that's gonna increase the amount of productivity of your atmosphere, and you're gonna have more productive events, and you're gonna have a lot more things, uh, a lot of more innovation happening. Um, yeah. which is always good. And I think that I feel I have personal experience with this, but like eating disorders, right? Yeah. I think when you said like the difference between the calories and the little piece of broccoli and the chicken wing, to be honest, like the concept of counting calories, well, yes, for like very obese and overweight people, it could be a good, like caloric deficits are good, right? Mm-hmm. They can result in weight loss and out of control, but it has to be controlled. Because I went down the spiral uh, a few months ago, like I want to say June, July, mm-hmm. for like three or four months in which I, that's all I could think about were calories. calories. And it was such an unhealthy mindset. Yeah. Yes, I lost a lot of weight, but the the mental strain it put, the constant hunger, mm-hmm. the effects that it had, it's c- people have such a, a, a misconstrued concept of calories and that yeah. higher means bad but no if you just eat a balanced diet a wholesome a, a, a so whole, whole yeah a wholesome diet you know that's healthy and nutritious yeah that does has far more benefits th- than just like you know restricting diets and being hungry all the time i feel like that's the most important takeaway that we failed mm-hmm. to mention yeah. having a healthy well-balanced diet is so important yeah. You know, because you can cut calories, you can add calories, you know, because working out, you know, is good for um, yeah. cutting calories and things like that. But, I mean, the most important thing is eating a balanced diet. You know, you can eat, you can make your calories for the day, but not receive a balanced diet. Um, I feel like that's so important. And I guess something that um, I challenge people to do is just try and, you know, increase the amount of um, if you're maybe low on something, you know, like low on protein or something like that, add some more protein, you know, get some more grains in, get some more, 
um, fiber and things like that. Try to yeah. create a balance. And there's apps, out, you know, like on Apple Store, I remember there's something called like um, like My Health app um, or like, you know, these there's trackers, there's health trackers that can you can document the food that you eat and it'll tell you the amount, the, the macros that you receive. It can tell you, you know, the amount of um, protein that you have, fiber that you have. And of course, it's not completely accurate. It's an estimate. But those can help you get a general understanding of what you should, you know, strive to eat in the day, which is very good, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, like, I think a lot of uh, what a lot of Americans fail to realize is that, like, what they think Mm -hmm. that they're getting enough of, they really aren't getting enough of. Like, the daily serving are, like, like, of fruit, at least, is, like, five to seven servings, which... That's a that's lot. Actually, that's a lot. Yeah. And, like, y- it's easy just to say, like, oh, you sh- should be focusing on eating more vegetables or eating more fruits. Yes. Like, yeah. Because fruits and vegetables have nothing but benefits. Yeah. Like, like dietary fibers, vitamins, minerals, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, overconsumption of things are always yes, not good. Yes, overconsumption of but everything. Generally, uh, yes, yeah. they are, of course, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And... I think that a lot of Americans don't realize is like they're con- they're consuming way too much sodium and mm-hmm. for like for example sodium like I saw this one uh, cup of soup that said like oh one serving is um, like four hundred milligrams. Oh, of sodium. I love those. Hold on, give me two seconds. I'm going to grab. Um, I love that they have inc- include nutrition labels. Um, these nutrition labels you have to read meticulously. Because they include nutri- uh, serving sizes and things like that. I'm going to pull Sour Patch Kids and see how, m- like, the serving yeah. size. And it would say, like, for example, the cup of soup, one serving size, has, say, 400 milligrams of sodium. However, if you look at servings per container, it's two. So when you eat the whole thing, thinking that it's one serving, oh, no, you actually ate double the amount of sodium. You, you, you're going to talk about exactly what I was going to talk about. Yeah, so <laughs> the nutrition <laughs> facts are great for some people, but that's only if you read it, you know, you know, if you read it the right way. It's a little bit misleading in the fact that the calories are huge, right? But then you also have to realize that it says serving size. So the serving size of this Sour, pa- of sour Patch Cookies are, or, or the candy is 12 pieces, so around 30 grams, and that's 110 calories, right? So if you're eating 2,000 uh, calories a day, that's already 5% of your <laughs> um, of your diet. But exactly. it, oh, oh my god. F- so it, <laughs> it includes um, these 12 pieces of candy. 12 pieces of candy is 48% of the daily value of, a- of sugar. It includes wow. 24 grams of added sugar and 27 grams carbohydrates, which is 10% of the di- um, of daily fat, which is, I mean, like, I guess that, you know, if you're it's it's I guess it's like a guilty pleasure, you know. If you want to indulge in it, then that's good for you, know. But like, these these facts are absurd, right? Like, these like the data is available to people, yet they make the conscious choice to consume, you know, um, an increased amount, um, even when they have this data. And I feel like again, going back to education, educating people about uh, how to read these uh, nutrition labels are important. Um, Especially with these, you know, the serving size and things like that. Those yeah. small little details that add up are very important. Yeah, and I have a question. When it says sugar, mm-hmm. uh, what is the percentage that's given? So total, sh- so total sugars, it says 24 grams, but it says includes 24 grams added sugars, which is 
Okay. Because what most companies do mm-hmm. is the the percentage that's like next to carbohydrates or sodium or total fat mm-hmm. is actually the recommended amount that you should be getting. Say you had that uh, uh, Sour Patch Kids pack and it's mm-hmm. 40% uh, total carbohydrates. That that 40% means 40% of your carbs for the day are already gone in that one pack. But what most companies do that use sugar a lot, they don't report the sugar percent because they know that people will be looking for that. Yeah, yeah. And they don't want to report that. Yeah, sometimes they don't. And sometimes it's very sneaky that they do. They The percent daily value they it's not extreme i mean the general consensus is that it's 2000 calories but sometimes companies use the idea of 2500 calories yeah. to make their mm-hmm. percentages lower right so it makes it look lower than it, it make, really exactly. is exactly yeah. so again yeah. you know education is very important when it comes to these things because you have to be able to read the fine print and really understand what you're eating um but i i guess uh, the most important takeaway again is eat a balanced diet um make sure you enjoy what you're eating as well you know there's tons of recipes uh out on the internet and if you can't make food um or are limited in the amount of food that you can make Mm -hmm. slash get um because if you live in like a food desert things like that that's fine i understand um but try to you know do the best with what you have if there's something you don't have try to substitute it with another thing try to make Mm -hmm. things work as much as you can because um although fast food is there um and it tastes good you know um bean burritos are great um they will you know take a toll on you eventually um and they definitely hurt you know um i I can say personally um i've cut out soda um and fried food from my Mm -hmm. diet for around a year um and i look back on it and i could definitely tell that i was unhealthy um and i feel that like it's important that like you realize you know the the changes that you're making like it could even be something small like oh let me go um give up sugar for a week that's very difficult to do but you know let me let me give up let me give up something for a week right you know and then reflect reflection is important when it comes to like looking at like like what how did this change me and like what like is this for me you know things like that and that's why diets um are so like they're more commonplace today, you know. Like ten years ago, there were not that many, you know, vegan restaurants and things like that. But nowadays, there's a lot more um, vegan but healthy options um, mm-hmm. in our society. There's a lot more, um, which is nice to see, um, especially in, in the state of Tennessee. Yes, I agree. Balance and moderation is key yeah. to a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, with that, our discussion comes to an end. We thank you for listening and hope you'll stay tuned for future episodes. Don't forget to follow the Pepper Podcast on Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you. Thank you.